This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, it's a big weekend in Britain for our neighbours, the new king, King Charles III, and Queen Camilla will be crowned tomorrow. It's a huge moment, the first such ceremony since Elizabeth II in 70 years ago now. It's an enormous day for a nation, and everyone, I'm sure, is making their preparations. The British royal family are often disparaged everywhere, but they're also loved and respected in their own country and indeed places like France and Spain and in the United States. There's great interest, and there will be great interest here too tomorrow. In fact, Taoiseach and the Taoiseach will be there, as will the First Minister in the north, and I think even Mary Lou MacDonald. But also happening yesterday were local council elections. Everybody is aware of the Tory party's woes. They've had a number of prime ministers, four, I think, in recent times, Liz Truss and Boris Johnson being the most notorious of them. So to discuss what's happened in the local elections and what will happen tomorrow, we're joined by Chris Johns. Chris is a former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, a very respected commentator now, and we're always happy to have him. Chris, it is a huge weekend, isn't it, for the United Kingdom, our neighbours, and for Charles, who's 74 now, I think, 73, 74. He's waited a long time to be become king, and tomorrow is a big day. Also a big day for Camilla, who after Princess Diane's life and death, Camilla was intensely disliked, to put it mildly perhaps, by so many people in Britain. Yeah, the Prince Charles, as he was, was Prince of Wales for 50 years. Yes. Before um, moving on, as they say. And he's been waiting a long time, as you say, been getting ready for this role. And I think that monarchists and Republicans both, and the way that splits in the UK, according to the most recent opinion polls, is that 
about one in four people would describe themselves as mild or strong or don't care Republicans. And so about three quarters of the population would still be um, supportive in su- to some extent of, of the, the monarchy. The, um, the cost of the coronation has interested me. I've got a finance background, so therefore it would. And um, that it, the fact that it's been kept a big secret, I think, is telling. Um, estimates range from 50 to 100 million pounds, uh, which in these days of cost of living crisis is qu- quite a serious amount of taxpayers' money because Charles isn't paying for it. I just leave that there. The question of Camilla is fascinating because she has gone from being vilified uh, in from all sorts of quarters, actually, and not least the popular press years ago from that yes. famous interview with Princess Diana at the time when she described as there being three people in their marriage. Miller, of course, being being the third person, yes. and it's striking. Um, and I suppose it's a, it's a nice reflection of, of modern Britain that um, Camilla's first husband will also be at the coronation, yes. as will her children by that marriage. And it, it seems that this extended, divorced stepchildren, stepparents family is a, is in that regard, at least, perhaps not in others, a reflection of the country as it is at the moment, and people can relate to certainly that aspect of their family life. And her her gradual transformation from being the wicked stepmother, if you like, of the the tabloid press um, into Queen has been quite remarkable and very skillfully handled by the palace, it has to be said. They, They mess a lot of things up, not least things like Prince Andrew's famous, infamous interview with Emily Maitlis of a couple of years ago. But on this matter, they have been incredibly skillful, going from uh, speculation not too long ago as as to whether or not she could ever be called, remotely called, the Queen, to now it's it's just commonly accepted that the the key moment was when Queen Elizabeth, the late Queen Elizabeth, um, designated her the Queen Consort. Yes. And the, the word consort has quietly been dropped. She is now going to be on a regularly quoted in the media as being the queen. Yes, and the thing about Charles seems to me, because I, I respect other countries' traditions and history, and you know the monarchy is very much a British institution. Charles is an interesting man, it seems to me. He he was an environmentalist 50 years ago when I lived in Britain. He was an environmentalist. And he banged on about it, as they used to say disparagingly at the time. He proved to be, in that regard, very, very clever and almost inspired to have the vision that we needed to take care, not just of climate, but the biodiversity and all of those things. I mean, they used to depict him, the British press, as a bit of a header. Bit of a tree hugger, actually. Yeah. That's what they used to call him. And Jonathan Dimbleby, a name that doesn't appear too much in in the media these days, but he was a very famous broadcaster for many years on the BBC from a very famous broadcasting family, Um, was on the radio this morning talking about his friend, King Charles, and reminded us that he was banging on about the environment decades, not years, decades before... Um, uh, David Attenborough, of the who of course has yes. ma- made his reputation for his nature films and documentaries, but also for alerting us to the dangers uh, f- facing the planet from climate change. So Charles was very early to this, and he deserves credit for that. And and he is he gets credit now. But back in the day, 
as I say, the popular press labeled him as a tree hugger and, and disparaged him greatly for what were considered to be very idiosyncratic, if not eccentric reasons. And he was described for his environmentalism as being somewhat eccentric. Now, of course, it's completely mainstream. And the, the mood of the people, I mean, they're, they're easy to sort of mock. I mean, the antics of Harry and Meghan are really easy to mock and they have and have been mocked remorselessly. And somebody described them in the last few days as a mixture of the Kardashians and some other <laughs> joke family. But that there is that element to them. The, the Harry and Meghan saga, of course, which continues almost daily, yes. um, is, the, so, is one big aspect, perhaps the biggest aspect, soap opera aspect of, of yes. this royal family. And, and, it, and I think that leaves a bad taste in most people's mouths. Where, wherever you stand on the monarchist Republican spectrum, it, that, that side of things clearly um, is, is distasteful. It's disappointing. It's sad, actually, to see a family at war with itself and to see these accusations lobbed around. And the, the way Meghan has been treated, in my opinion, has been very poor, but that's just everybody. Everybody has a view on that. I don't feel strongly about it. I don't feel strongly about no. it one way or the other. But it, it's, it, I think it's just sad the way in which um, a family like that can be riven by those sorts of arguments involving misogyny, involving racism, involving just good old family rows. And clearly, um, there is a degree of estrangement between the two brothers. Um, it is widely assumed that they can barely speak to each other. Yes. Um, I saw it said this week that um, they love each other, but det- but uh, don't like each other. That old yes. cliche. And uh, <laughs> uh, Meghan isn't coming, and Harry is going to essentially pop into London and pop back to the United States where he's made his home. And uh, as I say, I think that that's a, you know, a sad reflection. But again, this sort of thing affects many families, doesn't it? There are family rows, there are of course, splits, yes. and, and yeah. these sorts of things are a reflection of, of life. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's a couple of things I'd like to ask you about. One is how you see the affection, and it's a pretty deep love in many cases, that the British people have for the monarchy and they had for the late Queen because I remember their Silver Jubilee, I think it was 1977, it was the year I came back to Ireland, and they had been as disparaged in the period leading up to this Silver Jubilee as they have been in recent times. And yet on the day, there were street parties everywhere. The mall was packed. There was the most extraordinary turnout. And when the family appeared on the balcony, and it was like this this thing had been hidden, or this devotion to these people by the British people, not the establishment, not the media establishment, but the ordinary man and woman in the street had a deep affection for the royal family. And is that part of history? It's part of British history that somehow resonates with people despite the soap opera elements and indeed the cost. You mentioned the cost there. They probably get that money back, Chris, in tourism. Quite possibly. It's always difficult to do these calculations. On just why the monarchy works, I must have read because there have been thousands this week, hundreds of articles this week on that very question. People, um, particularly foreign journalists, actually, um, it's been striking to to look at the Vox Pops that are being done down the Mall, the road that leads yes. from Trafalgar Square to Buckingham Palace, adorned as it is today and tomorrow with with all of the flags, pomp and pageantry that, that we, we expect. Um, and the Mall has been, uh, over the last few days, awash with foreign journalists. All yes taking their pictures, doing their Vox Pops, um, but they're all there. And a, lot, and a lot of them are asking, why does this work? And various people have all sorts of different answers. You provided some day yourself about, about continuity. Historical continuity is important to a lot of people. Yes. Um, a sense of uh, something bigger and better beyond themselves, um, a sense of community. All these words are bandied around. I'm not entirely sure what they mean, but it certainly provides an air of mystique. And the thing struck me was a, a, an article actually uh, by a Canadian journalist, one of these ones that were found wandering around the mall. And it, 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 I think this article popped up in The Guardian, actually. And he was asking the question ab- about the monarchy, why does it work? And he was coming at it really from a very skeptical point of view. And he realized it was a bit like his home country, Canada. And the answer was, well, if you look at it analytically, it shouldn't work. There are lots of reasons why Canada shouldn't work as a country, because it's not, it's so disparate, so different. Uh, there is nothing actually particularly Canadian about anything. And so why does it hold together? Why, do, why does it stand up? Why does it continue year after year? How is it able, he asked, for example, this year, Canada, unlike the UK, um, it's got about half the population of the UK. Canada has, has set an immigration target this year of a million immigrants. And the UK would like that number to be near a zero. And so two very different countries. And you're saying, yes. well, Canada works. Yes. And actually, so does the monarchy but in ways that we cannot 
fully explain or understand. And perhaps, despite my skepticism and indeed republicanism, because he resented the fact that the king, as it will be in the queen at the moment, still appears on the Canadian dollar, um, he doesn't like that. And lo- you know, lots of his fellow countrymen don't, but it, she does and he will. And um, there's no great movement in Canada to become uh, free of the, the, the monarchy. Um, it just works for, for all sorts of reasons that we think we understand, but I suspect for all sorts of reasons that we don't fully understand. Yeah, I mean, just to give an, another example of the kind of thing you, you just referred to there, if you're selling magazines in France, one sure way of selling out was to put photograph of the late Queen Elizabeth or indeed when she was alive of Princess Diana as she was then. God rest her. And if you wanted to sell out, that's who you'd put on. And the whole thing was snapped up. And the French are, of course, probably the proudest Republicans in Europe. And that's the other reason. That's the If you can point to an analytical reason about why people like the monarchy, and this might be a bit of a stretch, and I don't know how many people would go down this route. But again, this Canadian journalist went, started talking about this. He said, if you actually look around the world at the, the different models, the different systems, the republics versus the, the monarchies around the world, actually, you realize there are an awful lot of republics or elected dictatorships or, or what, what have you around the world that don't work nearly as well as countries that have, and in particular the UK, that has a monarch as its constitutional, albeit notionally constitutional head. And that if you want to think about alternatives, there aren't that many models about out there of, that currently work very well. Think about the United States. You know, with yeah. the, Donald Trump on the comeback trail to be the head of state yes. in, the, in the United States, is that the road that we want to go down? I mean, Boris Johnson ultimately was yes. subordinate to the Queen, albeit notionally, and the system here worked eventually to get rid of this clown. And so we think that we have, and I say this might be a stretch, a system that might not be perfect, that has very obvious imperfections and glaring uh, problems. But for mi- reasons that we think we understand and reasons that are mysterious, it seems to work tolerably well for us and actually quite well when you think about comparisons with, with other countries and their political systems. Yes, and I should inform you, Chris, if you don't know, that Ireland's greatest socialist, in fact, many people would argue Ireland's greatest man, the president, Michael D. Higgins. The man who hates economists. He hates economists and he hates the kind of economic forces at work at the moment. But he's going with his wife and they will be there representing Ireland. And I don't mind. I hope they have a lovely time. Right. I think you want to close. The, that no, no, I'm not happy to talk about Michael D. as an no, economist. No, no. I was intrigued by his uh, yeah. anti-economics remarks, which, of course, it's not the first time he's made that speech. No, but he's been in government quite a long time. He was in government yes. and for he's, 15 he's, years. And as, as, as I'm, you can explain this to me, I mean, he's your head of state. <laughs> and a bit like, um, unlike, actually, our monarchy, and you, you, you have an elected president, but um, for all the love that people have of our monarchy here in the UK, they are subject in certain quarters to huge amounts of criticism. Oh, there, yes. have been, yeah. there have been, uh, you can look it up on YouTube, more or less of it, um, Labour MPs standing outside the House of Commons making anti-monarchy videos this week, Republican videos, and saying it's mm. time to bring it to an end. This hundred million quid is a waste of taxpayers' money, et cetera, et cetera. 
but you seem to have a head of state that is beyond criticism. Nobody's allowed to criticize Michael Dean. Yeah. It was fascinating to see Pascal Donahue, of all people, saying that he was making very sensible remarks about economics. When Pascal Donahue, of all people, given mm-hmm. how educated he is, would yeah. know that everything that Michael Dean said about economics last week was absolute nonsense. And everything he did in government <laughs> was the same. Let's move on, Chris, because there's something that is also very important happening, and, and that was yesterday when the local elections took place in Britain. And, of course, because of their almost comical inability to govern sensibly, the Tories were expected to be massacred. It's now midday Friday. I don't see any blood on the carpet, but it is early in the day. How has that gone, Chris? Because it is with an election due sometime in the next two years. It is an important test of how the public feel about the Tory party post Liz Truss, Boris Johnson. It is a test. It's an important test. It isn't necessarily a great or perfect indicator of how things are going to go next year when we probably have the general election in the autumn of 2024 is is everybody's best guess. But as you say, it's it's a good barometer of how people feel today. And uh, there's been a lot of expectations management by all the parties, and all of them are claiming that they've done a little bit better than expected. So that, by arithmetic, can't be true. I think it's gone the way the pollsters said it would. We haven't anywhere got anywhere near the, all the results in yet. But it, the, the, the overall outcome looks at if this kind of voting pattern was replicated in a general election. That's a big if. Um, local election voting patterns are rarely completely mapped into a general election, but as you say, they are a pointer. If this is a guide to the next general election, the result will be something like the 2010 general election, which will there will be no uh, overall majority. That um, If you remember, David Cameron decided to go into coalition with the Liberal Democrats because he had such a skinny majority. Yes, and the Lib Dems have done, in what I've seen this morning so far, in the results, they've done really well. They've done well in the South, in what we call the Blue Wall, which traditionally yes. is Tory country. They've done well in Theresa May's old constituency, uh, current constituency, actually. They've, they've gained seats. They, I think they've actually gained that council. So um, the, the Lib Dems have done very well in the South, and Labour have made inroads. They haven't uh, got it all back by any stretch of the imagination yet, but they've made inroads back into their red, what used to be their Red Wall, uh, of of the Midlands and the North, um, this is just England. Remember, um, so yes. we, there are there are lots of uh, political ramifications yet to to play out with what's been happening in Scotland, um, because Labour have high hopes for the general election from the uh, trials and tribulations that the SNP are currently going through, and they are hopeful that they will be making inroads into uh, seats, MP seats in Scotland, which which is not up for grabs. There are no councils up for grabs there today. So I think I think it is, a, a, on balance, though, a poor showing for the Conservatives. And I think, quietly, their worst fears are being realised, which is that Rishi Sunak, despite his quiet managerialism, the ending of the chaos of the Johnson and Trust administrations has led to a stabilisation in Conservative support. They've stopped plummeting in the polls, yeah. but they haven't yet shown anything remotely like staging a comeback. And I think that that's really interesting, because by this time, I think they would have hoped that Sunak's 
I say quiet competence verging on boredom, would be showing some signs of results. And this, it's very telling that some of the headbangers have also been out this morning, and I use that word carefully, saying that this is actually bad news. These are conservative Tory headbangers out, and yeah. they would say this, wouldn't they? But they've been suggesting that the time is right for Boris to make yes. his much vaunted comeback. I wouldn't put much credence by that, but the results have been bad enough for the Tories for them to feel able to, as I say, come out of the work and say things like that. The problem the Tories have got, I think, is that they have, and you could hear it on the airwaves this morning, every single Tory MP, councillor, whether elected or not, and Rishi Sunak himself, no matter what question the radio or TV interview interviewer asked, they towed the party line, which repeated the mantra of Rishi Sunak's five tests, reduce the debt, halve yeah. inflation, reduce NHS waiting lists, and stop the boats. And I think that plays to a couple of themes, which is they're trying to exert some party discipline over a party that, that very nearly, very nearly went into the abyss last year and has taken a step back from it. And so that's, that, from their perspective, is a good thing. But I wonder about this, this mantra of those five tests. I wonder how many people actually care that much about them in the priority that they're assigning to yes. them. People worry about the cost of living, for sure. And yeah, halving the rate of inflation is a great soundbite, but it doesn't mean much to people when the, there is a particular type of inflation that really, really bothers people, and that's food and energy inflation. Halving the rate of inflation doesn't really map into the other thing. Reducing debt means nothing to, to ordinary British people. I mean, yes. I, if you ask the average British citizen what the British national debt was, they wouldn't be able to get it to the nearest billion. Um, uh, Reducing NHS waiting lists, well, everybody says that, and everybody knows, because everybody that ha has had any personal interaction, either themselves or their families, as I have done recently, knows that the NHS is not on its knees, it's flat on its back. Yes, the, the stories yes. that we all have as individuals about the NHS at the moment are absolutely horrendous. And it seems to people that are interacting with the NHS, the really sinister thing for me is that the people inside, the really good, kind, hardworking people inside the NHS have lost heart. Yeah, and are leaving. There, there is evidence. And they are they themselves, yeah. although they still believe very firmly in the principle of the NHS, in a way, they've given up. They've given up believing in it because they, they know in their heart of hearts just how bad it is. And so these tests don't really resonate with the, pe the people who've moved on. And the thing that is really interesting is stop the boats. I wonder just how many people really do care about that in the way that the Tories think they do. I, I think wonder... in, in what are known as the, or were known as the red wall seats, I think immigration is a very potent weapon. Yes, and I, that's true. It is still potent in certain quarters, but I wonder whether that tide has started to go out for a number of reasons. I certainly believe that these five tests, certainly the stop the boats thing within the five tests, rose out of focus groups that Sunak did when he became yep. prime minister. And I wonder whether if he redid those focus groups, whether stop the boats would be um, as, as, as salient as it is now for a number of reasons. One is people are aware that immigration since Brexit has gone up a lot. And, you know, the sky hasn't fallen in. And so people wonder about what that actually means. Secondly, um, People are being told by people that do the numbers that actually that more people turn up at British airports than come in at the boats. More people turn right. up at British airports seeking refuge. More people turn up at British airports without any documentation at all or forced yes. documentation that come in on the boats. And people are beginning to realize that the boats thing 
is, is, is perhaps just another Tory circus, and it isn't the big deal that people have been led to believe. And in, in any event, I think the, the, the problems of everyday life, from the cost of living to the NHS, to just making ends meet, to getting things done, from traveling on the trains that don't run at all or not on time, the list is endless. I think these are becoming more and more salient and the things that the Tories believe are, yes. are, are relevant are becoming less and less. I'm not saying that they're not there. I'm just saying that I think the British people are moving on. And yes, we, we, we're, we're grateful for the end of the chaos, but we want a plan. Right. Just I want to ask you a final question, and it's this. If Britain had a presidential system and Boris Johnson ran for the Tory party and Sir Keir Starmer ran for the Labour Party, who would win? <laughs> what, a, what a great question. <laughs> I suspect spoiled ballot papers and don't knows would win, actually. Yeah. Um, or perhaps don't care. Present, presented with that choice, and I think you present it very cleverly because Keir, Keir Starmer does not inspire any of us, even those mm -hmm. of us that would be natural Labour voters. When I say give us the plan, we say that as much to Keir Starmer as we do to Rishi Sunak. Um, Boris Johnson would probably win that vote for charismatic type reasons and for all of those old fashioned, you know, he's the kind of bloke you could have a pint down the pub with. You wouldn't want to do that with Keir Starmer type <laughs> you, nonsense. You, you, you'd end up paying for it. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody, at the, and this is Labour's problem for the next election, I can't imagine anybody getting enthused enough to actually bother their asses to vote in that kind of contest. Okay, I predict a Boris Johnson comeback, Chris, but that's another day's work. And as a, an avowed non-monarchist, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very and, much. And uh, we're very grateful to you, of course, as always, for joining us on The Stand. That's Chris Johns. And Chris has his own podcast with Jim Power and other of our valued contributors. It's called The Other Hand. And if you want anti Monica's rants, that's the place to go. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.